Hello and welcome to Tell Me What's Good, episode 8. I'm James Clark and I'm here, as always, with my big friend, Jeff Paul. Jeff, you're looking particularly full today. Yeah, I've just had Pastor Del Jeff. Very, very special uh, meal what, for myself. What, what's that got in it? Let me guess, tinned hot dogs? No, it's, uh, it is the finest Slimming World pasta option that I can tolerate, um, which is about as far as I'm willing to go. Slimming World, we do not want your sponsorship. I disagree. I disagree, Slimming World. I really like your recipes, although HelloFresh, I believe yours are nicer. Um, Jeff, Jeff, the question on the public's lips, have you opened your PlayStation 5 yet? Oh, well, James, we're a week away from Christmas, so uh, the answer is no. But I am enjoying, as we discussed last week, Sparta kicking everyone in the face on Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Yeah. So I am, I am satisfied. I am more satisfied than a full serving of Pasta Del Jeff. See, I told you you were full. You were looking full. <laughs> It's got nothing to do with being at home for eight months and not leaving or doing any exercise. That's that's one of those things that we've all had to put up with this year. It's I'm carrying some COVID weight right now. You are, but uh, yeah, it doesn't. Calories don't count in 2020. In the same way that aging doesn't, James, which of course means I must say happy birthday or non-birthday, a gentleman's 29, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I mean. What surprised me is that I'm now actually closer to 40 than I was to 30 yesterday. Um, so that's weird. But then you've been there for a good year or so already, Jeff, haven't you? It's upsetting. It is quite upsetting. Um, I remember back in the day, I remember your 18th birthday when we got you so drunk, James, you're in bed for 9.30 at night. And the only yeah. photo we had... The only photo I have of you is desperately clinging to a hairdryer, sorry, hand dryer in the toilet of the pub after spilling a pint of water on yourself and literally trying to dry hump it. Um, it was a bit like that bit in the Mr. Bean movie, Bean. So, you know, look at you. Look at you and your movie references, even when paralytic. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna remove the word humping out of that sentence. I definitely wasn't humping the hand dryer. I was the trying gesture, to dry my pants. The the hand the hand dryer was above crotch level and it necessitated an upward regular movement to get the flow of air. I know better than you, surely, because I was not passed out by nine thirty one. Is that my is that my eighteenth birthday celebrations where only you and I made it out and even my parents went away for the night? Yes. Um it was you and all your mates. <laughs> yep yep it was some good times thanks jeff um well on to the second of our um 2020 specials today we this uh, this episode we are looking back at the best tv series that have come out in 2020 not tv series that uh that we discovered in 2020 so i'm afraid money heist this doesn't include you although spiritually and in my heart it always will are you excited for today's episode jeff I am. I think this is a very exciting category. It's been good to look back and see a lot of excellent content this year, despite everything. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to hear your choices. And I think, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a good top three. Before that, though, um, we have to tell you some recommendations. We have to tell you what's good, because, of course, that's the name of this podcast. Hashtag so, branding. Exactly. So, Jeff, if you don't mind, I'm going to go first. And I'm going to tell you guys what's good or what's been good for me this week. 
This week, Jeff, I watched Mulan. That's my recommendation this week. Disney's live-action remake of their classic 90s cartoon animated movie. Uh, it's available now for free for all Disney Plus subscribers. Obviously, I say free. You still have to pay however much you pay to Disney to subscribe every month. I don't know. I just bought it in a one-lot one job back in March. Anyway, previously, uh, Mulan had cost a pricey 20 quid to watch as it had gone straight to streaming, missing out on a cinema release. Uh, it did have its... It must be one of the only movies that had its premiere live in public at the start of March, but then had its release date pushed back and back and back, and then eventually, obviously, just came out on Disney+. Plus. So for anyone who doesn't know, Mulan was my favourite Disney movie growing up. I even had a, a Mulan birthday cake for my 10th birthday. Yes, I, yes, I'm a boy who, for his 10th birthday, had a Mulan Disney birthday cake. I really like the storyline and if uh, and anything to do with the Chinese army, Mongols, Huns, and whatever else. That's kind of like been one of the most interesting periods of history for me since I saw Mulan. Um, I enjoyed the songs in Mulan more than most other Disney movies, to be honest. And I've always thought it was a pretty funny film too. Obviously, Eddie Murphy playing Mushu is is probably peak comedy for Mulan. Uh, the story of Mulan, however, is based on an ancient Chinese legend that varies from teller to teller, and this is no different here. The story of this live-action remake differs pr- not entirely but quite severely from its animated predecessor in a number of ways, but not to its detriment, Jeff. Don't worry about that. Are you a fan of Mulan, the animated movie, by the way? I mean, I'm a big fan of Eddie Murphy being an animal that talks, and we yeah. don't have that in, in this film, James, so I guess that's... Uh... That's really the crux of it. Does does the lack of Eddie Murphy affect this film? Yeah, well, it's certainly not a comedy, Jeff. Uh, certainly not an awful lot of laugh out loud moments. But let me tell you why I liked it. Um, I thought the performances from the main cast in Mulan were really good. Liu Yifei, I hope I said that right, is pretty much unknown to Western audiences prior to this. But she's had a fairly prolific career in China before making uh, Mulan this year. She's also an accomplished singer, which makes it unusual that this film actually dropped all the musical element to it uh, whatsoever. Um I was also buzzing to see uh, smaller but still main cast roles for, for actors who are better known to me. So I'm talking about Donnie Yen, Gong Li and Jet Li are all familiar to audiences for their work in English speaking films, usually martial arts, but not always. And they performed admirably again here, like kind of returning to my screen. I hadn't seen any of those actors for a while and added that gravitas uh, to the wider cast. Just as a little aside, Donnie Yen is one of my favourites. And if anybody's not seen uh, Ip Man, Ip Man is one of the best series of movies going. You need to watch that. Yosun An, in what appears to be his big break, is also excellent as another army recruiter and a bit of a love interest for Mulan himself later on in the film. The other thing I think that sells this movie to people who might not be into it, Jeff, like like maybe you, I don't know, is just that it's a good story with some interesting action, action sequences and some excellent wire work in the fight scenes in particular. Uh, the story in a nutshell is this. China's being attacked by raiders led by a badass Jason Scott Lee. It used to be the Huns in the in the, in the animated movie, although really they look like Mongolians, even though they were Huns. Um, but now they've changed that to like some kind of raiders from... Um, out of the country. And uh, yeah, this badass Jason Scott Lee character is working with a witch to wreak havoc. So there's a bit more of a supernatural element, um, you know, like a in a nasty way than in the animated movie where it's just Eddie Murphy playing like a messenger from the gods, dragon, looking after Mulan. Um, the army is raised to fight off the, these raiders with every family in China required to provide one male soldier. Mulan's dad is ancient and crippled, but is still going because he has no son's only daughters. But on the night prior to him leaving the family house, Mulan steals his armor, sword, and joins his, joins in his place, joins the army in his place. Spends most of the film pretending to be a man in order to be accepted. 
you can fill in the rest from there, I reckon. I'm a fan of the fact that Disney didn't whitewash this cast uh, in any way, Jeff. As, and we've seen that in lots of movies. Um, in the past, this, we've seen some criticism about whitewashing. I'm thinking even, you know, even The Wall with Matt Damon in, that was an awesome movie set in China. But of course, the hero in it has to be a white guy. But I like the way that Disney didn't do that. And the film benefits from this on the whole. I think it adds it a certain legitimacy and it makes it a lot more believable. For fans of action, a good story or coming of age tales, Mulan would be a great watch. Whilst I miss the songs and the musical and elements in the comedy, um, there's more. This is, it's more than made up for with fantastic costumes, sets, great acting, as I've said, and lots of nice little Easter eggy hidden nods to the original film. I love that they take some of the lyrics from the really famous songs, like I'll Make a Man Out of You, and they make it into the actual lines spoken by the characters when Mulan joins the army in the first place. That's it from me. I think it's a really good movie. Give it a watch. It's on Netflix. It's on. It's not on Netflix. Sorry, Netflix. It's on Disney Plus now. Uh, let me know what you think. The uh, the action sequences are quite. Is, we've not seen it really from Disney. Uh, I think we could say uh, at least a, yeah. for a technically what is a family friendly film, but it is it's not one that holds back. Is that fair? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, there's lots of action. Because it's Disney, we it stops short of like overt death and blood and gore that would make it probably a bit more of a, a an adult movie, I guess. Uh, it stops short of that, but yeah, the action in particular really stands out as being some pretty pretty hardcore fight scenes for Disney. And in terms of this, is another live action remake. We've had likes of Beauty and the Beast and well, technically Lion King. Um, yeah. I mean, where where does it stand compared to to those? I've been a fan of all of all the Disney's live action remakes, you know, Aladdin as well, obviously, and uh, the Jungle Book. Yeah, I think it's probably middle. If I ranked those five, it's probably middle of the road. I, I mean, I was a big fan of the Beauty and the Beast remake. I was a big fan of the Aladdin remake. Mm-hmm. I think they're all pretty much actually of the same standing. It doesn't have the huge A lister that the others do, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, really good and worth a watch. Yeah, and also not behind the paywall, which is important for those of us that don't like spending more money than we already do on movies and TV. Exactly. I've been I've been excited to watch Mulan since it came out. I was definitely going to go to the cinema and watch it, but when I saw that twenty quid price uh, bracket, I thought, if I'm honest, I don't pay that to go to the cinema now. You know, for two of us, it costs us about ten quid, so I'm not going to pay double that to sit to sit and watch it on my on my TV. But uh, when it's free. And, or just the cost of the subscription, definitely worth a go. Definitely one of the best things to be released on Disney over the last month or so. I've got to say, uh, a man who's not willing to pay £20 uh, to go to the cinema uh, sounds very much like a man approaching his 40s, James. Just, uh, <laughs> just an observation. Okay, James, um, my recommendation this week is the new hit Netflix show, The Queen's Gambit. It stars Anya Taylor-Joy, who uh, she was made a breakthrough in The Witch about five years ago, she was Emma in Emma Full Stop, which is out this year. And here she plays an orphan chess prodigy called Beth Harmon, who in the 1950s and 60s America rose to the top of the chess world. So based on a true story, which is exciting. Um, this is an excellent TV show, James. And I thought, given that this is a TV show special, let's recommend a TV show. Because, you know, we, uh, we failed on the game one last week. Um, apparently... This has became Netflix's most watched scripted limited series, which means that Netflix is very proud of it because they really do not talk about streaming figures. So that's uh, just in itself should indicate how worth it your time this is. 
it is unfair to describe it as that chess one, which is all I've heard around the virtual water cooler for the last few weeks since it hit Netflix. But it is, you know, at the heart of it is a story about chess, but it's not about the chess. It is ultimately a story about a young woman who finds validation, achievement and safety in a world that she can control. And, you know, it's about being competitive. It's about being addicted. It's about being valued for your talents and just who you are. And there's obviously plenty of subtext and the the setting of the 1950s and 60s and being a woman as well, which they don't really play on there, which is good in a way, because you're just you're with the character on the journey. And the way that they use chess, though, is phenomenal they are they they um they show her playing it you know in her mind on the ceiling either by herself or it might be in a national competition and even though even if you don't understand or play chess you get it and the intricacies of the game really come across so you're always impressed by it but you don't feel dazzled by it so the way they edit and pace it is absolutely phenomenal this one was created by, and written and directed, in fact, by Scott Frank, who um, he wrote Logan, to, to name one thing that stood out to me. Um, I think really what has impressed Netflix is uh, Godless, which he did a few years ago, a uh, Western series with uh, Jeff Daniel in. And he, this is clearly a guy who is absolutely full of confidence. And Netflix have said, go and make a TV show that you really want because the pacing is perfect. It turns every chess match into a boxing match. And it, you, you can feel the tension, whether it be hopelessly one-sided or really two heavyweights going toe-to-toe. And then just yeah. the, the setting of it, the production design is getting all applauded and rightly so. I mean, there's one scene in episode three where she just walks into a hotel in las vegas and it's such a glorious demonstration of cinematography the set design the costume work the score it had hints of inception level like nuance of here's something quite intricate and intriguing but just all of it combined is almost it's almost a shame that i came to it a little bit late because it is one of the best things i've watched this year but it's not in my top three but uh, limited series, only seven episodes, and that's streaming on Netflix now. I feel like a TV show that glorifies chess playing, Jeff, uh, lends itself nicely to somebody who's slightly closer to being 40 than I am. Would you agree? I think it's a game for intelligent and sophisticated people. So, yes. Fair enough. Um, I've heard lots of people. I haven't watched The Queen's Gambit. It's on my list. If I'm honest, I was really keen to, and then I watched the trailer and I was slightly put off. It looked a bit pedestrian, which I thought was a bit odd because everybody seems to be loving it. But listening to your recommendation, I'll definitely give it a go. Um, a couple of people that I've I've heard talking about have said that it's actually, it turns chess into almost like a like a full-on contact sport kind of show. It, 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 that's how it appears. It's interesting that you said that about boxing. It turns every chess match into a boxing uh, match. Would you say Anya Taylor-Joy, is she the real, and obviously she's the main character, but is she going to be the next big thing now because of this? They, they is a mixture of, I mean, you, you will literally be watching her play a match by just watching her eyes move and you get everything you know that she's happy, she's unhappy, she's three moves ahead, she's falling behind with it, just with the way that she moves her eyes left to right. So they've done a great job casting there. And it reminded me a bit of, you remember Speed Cubers, the the documentary about Rubik's Cube competitions. 
it is a, it's a little bit like that sort of world where you're going into it and there's people and there's you, you, we will never know who they are but they are absolutely acclaimed by those that do and again there's these competitions and she takes part in them and and it's the journey that she finds this validation after many years in an orphanage and then her, her, her adopted mother you know uh, uh, is, is her, her, her adopted father leaves them and again it's this just this route into a better life that comes in the face of all the issues of the 50s and 60s but then it doesn't talk about them too much it doesn't make it a big issue there's times where she talks to a, a, a dominant male character and you're like oh well, this is maybe this is going to go down this path and they just go over it it's not about that it's about the chess and it's about her and i think that's really good and it isn't like a fairy tale because there is an element of addiction to it here but then on the uh, saying that on the, the glossiness and and the texture and the way that moves from the drabness of the post-war 50s into the the color and the the joy of the 60s is yeah just the production values itself are, are worth looking at but the story just really makes it so that's the queen's gambit uh, available all seven episodes on netflix as we speak jeff So I guess on to the main part of uh, this week's podcast, and that is our favourite, our top three. don't know why I said favourite when we call it my top three. My top three TV shows of 2020. Now, remember, Jeff, this is TV shows that came out in 2020. Hmm. Uh, Thinking about this now, I haven't even put Snowpiercer in mine, even though it definitely belongs in mine. It's just come to me, as you mentioned, things that we came to fairly recently. Hmm. I don't know why it's not in mine, but my top three is a really good top three. I'm going to start you off with my third one, slightly lesser known, slightly lesser watched this year, which is The Stranger, um, available on Netflix as we speak. So The Stranger, Jeff, it was an eight-piece mystery thriller developed by Netflix uh, that's based on the Harlan Coben book of the same name. Uh, It went live on Netflix back in January 2020, which, believe me, seems like a million years ago now. I couldn't believe that this came out this year when I watched it. it stars Richard Armitage. Basically, he's like the big name in this, and we love Richard Armitage. You know, Thor yep. and Oakenshield, um, and everything else that Richard was in. You know, Strike Back. I'm, I'm listing things that I love, but I know lots, not lots of other people love. Um, but yeah, he's the main guy in it, and he is just a happily married man, father of two, who's at the start, at the end of episode one, is told a shocking secret about his wife by a random stranger who just appears and tells him this secret and wanders off. Lo and behold, his wife then goes missing, presumed dead. The rest of the series uh, is spent with us, uh, much of us wondering uh, where she's gone, if she's still alive, and who is responsible. That's kind of it. Um, that's the plot. Um, but it's just a masterful collection of twists and turns, Jeff, over the eight episodes. It you kind of think you've got your think you know you think you've got it and then you haven't got it you know for most of these tv shows now most of us have watched enough of these mystery thrillers to work out about 50 percent of the way through what's going to happen at the end am i right yeah definitely whatever you think after the first four episodes of the stranger you will be wrong i promise you uh, it just keeps twisting and turning and you just don't know which way's up by the end of it and that's what i really like about it. that's what set it apart um, some of them some of the twists you see coming but others you most certainly don't um, of course, for me, I think anything that brings Richard onto our screens again is class, and I'll watch, I'll watch it. You know, I love Richard Armitage. He's really just like, he brings a gravitas to the screen. Even just playing like a teacher, dad, um, just does it really well. And his, you watch him, you, you can't take your eyes off him. Um, I don't know whether that's good, that's what I'm looking up to in my near future. But um, 
And for me, you know, it's been better. The Stranger is the best of the three uh, Co- uh, Harlan Coben adaptations that have appeared on Netflix over the last year to 18 months. Safe and The Woods are both really good watches as well. Safe is an excellent watch set, um, set in southern England as well. The Woods is set in, in Poland, but really well written and really, really uh, mysterious again. But The Stranger is definitely the best. Um, so, yeah. That's my top three. That's number three on my top three is The Stranger, and that's on Netflix now. Yeah, no, it's a really good watch. Richard Armitage is 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 has come a long way since he was uh, in BBC's Robin Hood. Um, yeah, but, or uh, marrying or marrying Geraldine in The Vicar of Dibley. Oh, did he do that? Well, there you go. There, there speaks a Richard Armitage fan. But uh, <laughs> yeah. very good. Yeah, really good to start the year. I can't believe that was was um, <laughs> that long ago. Feels like Crazy. longer. Um, so my number three is Normal People. Uh, this is a BBC Three show based on the book by the same name. Much love book um, that follows the story of Marianne and Connell, two Irish teenagers who, over several years, go from ending uh, university into university and really weave in and out of each other's lives. Um, this is easily, James, one of the best shows that BBC Three has done, which I say with high praise if you think that they've made the likes of Fleabag and, and had Killing Eve on there in recent years. Um, it came at a time when we were all p- craving personal connection. Uh, as it as it came out in April, but I don't think that I don't think that would have changed the noise that surrounded it. And it's a very powerful show that is absolutely dragged through the roof by its two main actors, Paul Mescal. This is breakout part, and and Daisy Edgar Jones, who does one of the best Irish accents uh, you'll you'll hear for someone that uh, I've, I've heard Irish people not actually realise she's not from Ireland. Um, I think. The more you will enjoy it, which probably counts us out, is the closer you are to being a teenager at that point of moving into adulthood and finding love for the first time. And the closer you are, the more it will resonate. But certainly the the, the outpouring of emotion and the fan loyalty it's created, particularly between under 30s, just kind of shows how much it is. It shows that that experience of moving into adulthood is is so textured and and not fairy tale and frustrating. And these are two people that can live with each other. Sorry, can't live with each other, but then can't live without for a number of years. And you just end up getting so annoyed with them. Like, don't do that. Don't say that. Just go to her and and all this uh, elements to of it that just just make you you know completely invested in in their story. Um, but it is a relationship that envelops them and it suffocates them and they have to move away just to get air between them. Um, and again, it's frustrating. So there's all these external factors that pull them away. But what really stood out for the show is how it deals with these external factors. It is very mature in the way it deals with some of these issues, the intimacy of a, a first sexual relationship, uh, and also some very heavy elements. Uh, and at times there's a lot of sadness behind the eyes of these characters and you've got Marianne who's the the, the clever loner if you will and, and Connell who's this jock who is far more clever and sensitive than society will let him be uh, when they start what is a secret relationship so no one will watch the, will watch this and not feel some kind of connection to an emotion that they had when they were younger um, but particularly for teenagers who are, who are charting their journey through, through this point of adulthood, it is absolutely essential viewing. And, and for me, one of the best shows of the year. Cool. Good pick, Jeff. Good pick. Um, I know it swept 
swept uh, my social media feeds back in April when everybody started watching it. Um, little did we know in April when we were craving social connection that we'd still be craving it eight months on. Mm-hmm. Um, or or thriving without it, as lots of people are. Um, <laughs> similar in emotional connection to normal people is my number two on my list, Jeff, which is Gangs of London, um, <laughs> which is the uber-violent debut season from Raid director Gareth Evans. That took the UK by storm at the start of lockdown, um, coming out on Sky Atlantic in April of this year. So I know what I was watching when everybody else was crying at normal people. Um, Gangs of London centres on the Wallace family, uh, who are a family of gangsters who uh, are the like the premier predators in the city's underworld, you could say. They marshal their rival gangs in a loose coalition, uh, ensuring everyone can go about their lucrative businesses relatively unmolested. Of course, when the head of the Wallace family is assassinated, it all goes downhill rapidly in the battle for supremacy in London. Um, basically, Jeff, I, I've already gone into detail about why I love anything made by Gareth Evans. I think mm. his, his cinematography is fantastic. The yeah. fight scenes are visceral and brutal, but but you can't take your eyes off them. The character development is really underappreciated in his movies. He, mm. he develops character really well without saying an awful lot a lot of the time. And he does that really well in Gangs of London with, with what could only be described as a big ensemble cast. Uh, Gangs is stylish, violent, brutal, full of excellent acting performances, particularly from Joe Cole, not that Joe Cole, um, <laughs> who plays Sean, the heir to the family. It's a modern-day Peaky Blinders almost. Um, you know, That's a big claim because Peaky Blinders is beloved, but it, that, that's kind of the vein that it's in, and I just loved it. It's available on Sky On Demand now. Yeah, I think it's very easy to go, this is the film by the guy that did The Raid, which gives that just says well yeah there's loads of action but you're right there's a lot more texture to it and i think if you uh, a fan of things like layer cake um, and yeah. those sort of um, british gangster films that we've had over the last 20 years then this is definitely up there yeah i totally agree it's worth a watch uh, it's worth gritting and bearing the uh the the really violent bits if that's not your bag because it, because the character study is excellent mm. as well. Yeah, I did hear. I, I mean, I wouldn't recommend anyone go and look into it if you want to get the full experience. But I did hear Gareth Evans and his um, special effects guy talk about how um, they were surprised everyone got really upset at one scene because what actually happened in real life is there was someone there with some ketchup and they just threw ketchup <laughs> at the screen. Yeah. But uh, it's uh, yeah, it definitely makes you look away when you watch it. Oh yeah. Cool. Okay. So what's well, your number two? I mean, that's a very good number two, but uh, I'm going to suck the life out of your recommendation with mine, which is Dracula. So ah, in, ah, in, ah. in by the skin of its pointy teeth, first aired on New Year's Day 2020, <laughs> ran for three days uh, in a row. Um, Dracula is a remake, well, not a remake, but a reimagining by the team that brought us Sherlock. It stars uh, Clace Bang, little-known Danish actor as the man himself. And we've got the phenomenal Dolly Wells' sister Agatha, who takes on Dracula. Um, Much like Sherlock, three shows over three nights, uh, 90 minutes long. Each has got its own distinct story arc within a a wider uh, arc. And very much uh, a TV show built on excellent dialogue and very charming lead actors. Now, it got a little bit hammered in the reviews for the third episode, which... I would say it's probably the weakest of the three. But the first two 
are excellent and there's su- such a mix of the the kind of the classic horror tropes that you want there are actually scary bits to this but then it is quite comedic it's very clever there's flourishes that we would expect from Stephen Moffat and Mark Gattis who are the writers and um, the sets are great and for me the second episode which is contained pretty much on one set is probably the best episode of TV that I saw this year so definitely top marks for me if it comes to to how you would bring Dracula to life I think taking the 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 legacy of that the wit of Sherlock and then mashing it together in a really clever show with lots of texture is is what they've done here and as I say Sister Agatha who I mentioned is probably my favorite female character that I've seen on screen this year as well. Uh, do you know what Jeff I, I it hasn't made my list because I didn't do my research properly and I didn't realize it came out in 2020 it seems like I said that long ago. 20 but, hours into the year James. I uh, I second your recommendation wholeheartedly the first two episodes in particular are wonderful what I love is that not only are the are the three episodes three different uh, separately contained stories, but they're they're filmed and set in in three totally different ways. So the first episode is very much a gothic horror. Mm-hmm. Um, the second episode, and it's an excellent gothic horror. The second episode, like you said, is is basically like a an episode of Poirot mm-hmm. um, or Sherlock, and the third episode is like a modern day police procedural almost kind of thing. Um, the third episode is the weakest, but I still really enjoyed it. I agree with you about the second episode is the best 90 minutes of TV I've watched. Um, probably. Um, although 1917 probably gets there. Um, and I think uh, Sister Agatha is just a wonderful, wonderful performance. Um, yeah. yeah. A great, a great pick. Great pick. Can't argue with it. So go on then, James, what's your drum roll? Uh, number one TV show of 2020. My number one TV show 2020 absolutely gripped me, Jeff. I love it when Netflix only releases episodes bit by bit. Mm. I, I really enjoy that because you're watching pre- premium Netflix content, but in a style that I'm more accustomed to, not binging it, but taking your time, having a chance to talk about individual episodes rather than the thing as a whole. So anyway, on, on from that, my top TV show of 2020 is Netflix's documentary, The Last Dance, focusing on the Chicago Bulls team of the 1980s and 90s that won six titles in an eight-year period. So basically, it's this, it tells the story in microcosm of the final season um, of that team together. So anybody that doesn't know, the Chicago Bulls dominated basketball in the 90s when we were growing up, Jeff. Um, and they they had this the nucleus of this team stayed together almost all the way through. Um the last season, when they won this, uh, the last season together, night, ending in 1998, um, it, which is, we call their last dance because the team broke up after this. They, the coach went one way, Michael Jordan went another. Um, I think Scotty Pippen went another way after that. Um, it, we focus on that and we break down that season bit by bit as the team are struggling and striving to, um, to complete another hat trick of titles in a row. However, it's also interspersed with um, telling the story of Michael Jordan's career, obviously the greatest basketball player to have ever lived, sorry, LeBron, um, his career from being drafted in the early to mid-80s all the way through his time with the Chicago Bulls, his brief hiatus, his year-and-a-half hiatus, and then the end of his career as well. So there's two parts to this series. There's the overall Michael Jordan story, and there are the uh, there's the focus on the last season. And these are told... Um, kind of in three different ways. Um, there's interviews with uh, the the main cast of players and coaches now, so in the modern day interviews, there's match highlights and then there's loads of behind the scenes footage from across Michael's career. 
Um, I love how the first, so the re- Netflix released these two episodes at a time. Um, the first two focused on Michael Jordan. The second two focused on Scottie Pippen. The third two focused on Dennis Rodman. The fourth two focused on uh, Phil Jackson, Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr, who was kind of a bit player in that team, but then has gone on to coach the, the Golden State Warriors to innumerable titles uh, in the 2010s. So he's a big deal in that. Um, and it kind of focused on them as well as telling the whole story. It just, it sounds like it was all over the shop, but it was just, this is just the best sports documentary going. That's why I love it. It's just incredible behind the scenes footage. You get an insight into these these guys, these players, these characters that you've never seen before. You kind of work out that Michael Jordan, as well as being an incredible uh, basketball player and an incredible leader, is also a bit of a tool um, and isn't particularly liked by his teammates, which which surprised me. I thought you know I thought him and Scotty Pippen were like this, mm-hmm. but not like Scotty has an awful lot of disdain for Michael, and we found out that Scotty Pippen isn't a particularly nice guy either. And we always thought he was the nice guy of the team. Um, so, yeah, you get these insights into the players that even if you're not a basketball fan, even if you weren't following it in the 90s, you'd find this really interesting. And that's that's why it's my my number one pick, Jeff. It's an amazing insight into Michael Jordan's mind and what drives a globally dominant sportsman. It kind of, you know, it's like reading. It's like reading an Aunt Middleton, Aunt Middleton book on motivation or on leading, as well as watching all this stuff. Um, it, you really get an idea of what can drive people to success. But at the same time, this is an incredible documentary for people who aren't even sports fans just Mm -hmm. that character study but real life would appeal to anybody um and it's easily the best thing i've watched this year i think i'd like you to prove me wrong it's um i think the point that it you don't have to be a sports fan to enjoy this is what makes this very enduring we've talked away from the part about including sport documentaries and and we've kind of said well no because People just go, well, Tottenham Hotspurs. I'm not, I'm not a football fan, so no, thank you. But this one, it it does surpass that, and it is really interesting to kind of see the. It's almost nice guys finish last in 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 high definition, um, and that choice that the team has to make to go. Yeah, he's not a very nice guy, but it's what's going to make us champions. And then take yeah. to go on that journey. So I think it's it's interesting for that reason. It is inter- a great watch, and it's good that they, they drip fed it out, which definitely got people talking about it. It's it's in a year as well. We've had some really good documentaries. I mean, we were talking about whether Tiger King should be in this conversation, and it probably shouldn't. But again, if you think about cultural impact, Carol Baskin, yeah. she's uh, that, she's up there. That bitch, Carol Baskin. Yeah. So yeah, irresponsible for 2020, but uh, yeah, what what a documentary! So yep. um, very very solid number one, James. However, you are wrong. It is not the best thing in uh, TV this year. Number one has to be The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and this is the way, James. And the way is Star Wars TV shows. If there was any further proof that was needed, that Disney ruled the world, it would be that Disney Plus went live on the first day of the UK's lockdown. <laughs> and this was another one that uh, the Disney uh, drip-fed it out. They'd release it one every week, and that's great because it creates something to talk about. Um, for those that don't know, it is set in the Star Wars universe. After the events of Return of the Jedi, Episode Six. Uh, we follow a Mandalorian who is a, a lone bounty hunter, given the job of tracking down an asset of high value to the evil empire. Mm. Someone actually disappeared. 
uh, despite Luke Skywalker beating Darth Vader a few years earlier. Um, however, when he finds the asset, he, he has a change of heart, decides to look after what is known as the child. And if anyone still doesn't know what I'm talking about, this is Baby Yoda. This is the TV show that gave us Baby Yoda, the biggest cultural phenomenon of 2020. Even Carol Baskin can't beat Baby Yoda. Um, and we've been so lucky this year because this actually launched in March with Disney Plus, and then we got season two in October. So two for one. We are going to have to wait quite a while for season three because they kind of need to go and film it now. But apparently it is going to debut on Christmas Day on 2021. So. Wow. Guess what I'm watching? Um, yep. The cast is excellent. Pedro Pascal, who's in the new Wonder Woman. He was in Game of Thrones. He's the Mandalorian. And like previous Mandalorians, i.e. Boba Fett, Django Fett, he does not take his helmet off. So you don't see his face. But yeah, he's excellent. You get the full range of emotions. You understand his attachment to Baby Yoda. Um, and Baby Yoda is a practical effect, which is amazing. It's a puppet. There's four puppeteers bringing him to life in the way that only Star Wars can make inanimate objects fall into your heart. So much personality then. And then you've got the effects, and there's no green screen. There's an absolute phenomenal technology, which I encourage anyone to go and Google behind the scenes Mandalorian, where they project um, the scenery in a way that they've never done before, but will transform how they make shows like this and films. And again, we, it's John Favreau. We owe John Favreau so much. Yeah, we do. He, you know, he's brought he launched Iron Man. Marvel. Yeah, well, he launched the the Iron Man and thus the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He absolutely changed the game with the, in quotation marks, live action Lion King, and the technology that was there. And then he's done this. And what's really interesting is the fact that Dave Filoni who is basically George Lucas now uh, when it comes to controlling the Star Wars universe. He's sitting alongside him. And it's such an entertaining show anyway. But then if you've got even a little bit of interest or awareness of Star Wars, there's so many rich nods to the fans that just elevate it to another level that it's definitely been the best thing I've watched this year. And that is why it's my number one for 2020. It's a fair pick, Jeff. Um, I love The Mandalorian. I, I th- obviously very different, probably incomparable to The Last Dance. So we'll never know what the best thing in 2020 on never TV know. is. Never know. But I agree, it's a great pick. Um, listener, if you've got other opinions on what were the, what was the best TV of 2020, if you want to give a shout out to Dave because you watched it after my recommendation, thought this is absolutely class. Because, by the way, it is. I've actually been Jeff this week and watched Dave again, and it remains class. If you've watched Barbarians and thought, yep, this is for me. Um, if you've watched watched that Jurassic Park animated series that Jeff talked about and thought this is for me, then you know, let us know on Twitter. We will be at, at Tell Me What's G. They're not Nazis. I take it back, Twitter, from last time. I'm sorry. On Instagram, we're at Tell Me What's Good UK. Or you can always email us if you live in the dark ages at tellmewhatsgooduk at gmail.com. That takes us on to the news, Jeff. And I know that your big news article for today links in to your top TV show 2020. Tell us a bit more about it. Disney rules the world already. And now it's going to just make sure of that. Um, the other night at their investor conference, they announced over 50 new projects. Yep. And I woke up in the middle of the night, made the mistake of checking my phone to see what time it was, saw a tweet from Disney, and then spent the next hour just screaming internally at how much good stuff there is. There's so much, James. I'm going to run through it. 
I'm cool. going to just say things out loud and then I'll pause and we'll talk about what we like. So, starting with Marvel, TV shows, WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, Hawkeye, What If, animated show, Secret Invasion with Sam Jackson, She-Hulk, and Miss Marvel. Bang. Um, so, yeah, I've watched the most recent trailer for WandaVision. I still don't know what the hell's going on in that show. Um, I've watched the trailer for Loki, and I'm pretty hyped for that. I'm not going to lie. Um, Winter Soldier and uh, and Falcon looks awesome. Um, release dates for those. I've got the release dates here, Jeff, for those. It's not yeah. long. WandaVision, January 15th. Mm-hmm. Um, Falcon and Winter Soldier, 19th of March. Loki is May 2021. So all within the next five months. That's yeah. exciting. It is. It's pretty much every week there'll be a new episode and then on to the next show, which is yeah. great. What If, the, the animated one, is one I'm really interested in. It's got Peggy Carter as Captain Britain. It's got uh, T'Challa getting picked up uh, a la Peter Quill in Guardians of the Galaxy. So interesting stories there. And then we've got films. Captain Marvel 2 confirmed. Black Panther 2, where they're, they're not recasting. They're staying in the universe of uh, uh, Wakanda. Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Yeah, it is. Watch out, Lego Star Wars, Um, (laughs) Ant-Man 3, and also another Fantastic Four, which would be Fantastic Four 3, Fantastic Four 4, the fourth Fantastic Four. I think it'd be the fourth Fantastic Four, the third third iteration of the fourth Fantastic Four. So see how they go there. Then moving on to Star Wars, uh, Ewan McGregor, worst kept secret is Obi-Wan in the new TV show. We've got two Mandalorian. Yeah, and he's the right age for it as well, which is great. But then we've got two Mandalorian spinoffs, a Rogue One spinoff called Andor Bad Batch, which is a Clone Wars cartoon spinoff, and Lando. Lando is getting his own TV show. Amazing. Um, What else is happening? Patty Jenkins, who did Wonder Woman, she's going to do Rogue Squadron, which looks like a play on Squadrons, the game. Um, Flying around in X-Wings and TIE Fighters. Then moving into Disney, we've got uh, Raya and The Last Dragon is their next big movie. Um, I like the look of that. It does look very interesting. I think it's, um, oh, what's the lady? She was in Star Wars, who's voicing it? I forget her name. Oh, you've got me. I've got me. I'll come back to it. I'll come back to me. But we've got TV shows from Disney, which is rare. We've got Aquafina. No, no, but she's she's in somewhere. Is it Kelly Marie Tran? That's it. Yeah, Kelly Marie Tran is. Yeah. Uh, I think that's in March there. But I think what's of more interest is there's uh, TV shows coming with the main characters. You've got Tiana, which is Princess and the Frog, uh, yeah. Zootropia, uh, Baymax from Big Hero Six, and Moana yeah. TV show. <laughs> See, I'm a huge fan of Moana, personally. See, I'm a huge Baymax fan. Big Hero 6 is probably my favourite Disney Pixar, whatever it is, over the last 10 years or so. Um, and I just love Baymax as a character. If he has to squeeze in between two objects, I'll be the happiest man alive. I'm sure there would be a lot there. Other things, we've got Encanto, a Columbia-set movie with music by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Of oh, course, Wow, absolutely amazing. Pixar's still there. Don't forget Pixar. I haven't even got a Pixar. They've got three movies coming out. Luca, about a boy in Italy. Turning Red, about a 13-year-old girl who turns into a giant red panda, obviously. And, amazingly, Lightyear, which is a movie <gasps> about the Star Trooper that inspired Buzz Lightyear, and that is voiced by Chris Evans. Incredible. Absolutely amazing. And then just for good measure, there's a few more things. There's an alien TV show set on Earth, directed by Ridley Scott. Um, Will Smith and Chris Hemsworth are doing some documentaries for National Geographic because, of course, they can. Just for good measure, James. Ice Age is getting another spin-off. 
awesome. <laughs> love love Ice Age. I loved I loved Zac Efron stuff that he did for Disney. That was really good. Hmm. Um, and I've seen Will Smith stuff for Disney, and that's pretty good as well. I'm excited about all of that. I didn't even know about the Alien TV series with Ridley hmm. Scott. Uh, your hmm. boy Ridley Scott from hmm. up here in the rep in the Northeast. Yeah, it's just. Jeff, I feel like we could do a whole podcast in January about about the Disney slate coming up. I feel like Disney Plus is going to be the hottest property to have, hottest yeah. subscription to have next year, alongside yeah. whatever HBO Max decides to stream on. Um, yeah, it's just exciting. I don't so even know much. what to say. There is too much. We will come back to it. But yeah, uh, all of these things. Oh, Indiana Jones isn't in, uh, Indiana Jones? Yeah, there is four. Let's call yeah. it four. <laughs> yeah, let's call only, it four. There's only three. Yeah, it's a sequel to the trilogy. But yeah, so much. Definitely come back to it. But that's what we're watching for the next two years. Spoilers. Really, really excited. I knew something big was going down when uh, when I opened my phone on whatever morning it was and saw that I had messages from you via WhatsApp, Facebook, Twitter, and I think probably just a plain old text message as well. I, I, you might have even Bebo'd me. I just I was I couldn't I couldn't scream externally as people were sleeping, so I just screamed into my phone and WhatsApp. That's fair. Uh, the only other piece of news, Jeff, that I need to talk about, I know we're, we're wrapping up, but I'm a big fan of the Left for Dead series. Uh, mm. We've discussed previously how disappointing the slate of um, Walking Dead video games are, with the exception of Telltale's The Walking Dead, which is obviously Game of the Air, I think, in 2012. But apart from that, and there's certainly not been any cooperative multiplayer style killing zombies in that universe. The, the studio that, uh, that built uh, Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2, who I believe are called Turtle Rock, have released a trailer during Game of the Air Awards for Back for Blood. Basically, Jeff, I'm hyped for this just because it's a group of, it's a cooperative online game, four players just surviving horde after horde of zombies. Um, I think it looks really cool. It's the kind of game that I'm totally into. It's the kind of game I think loads of people are into, that kind of cooperative survival thing. If you think about how successful uh, Zombies Mode in Call of Duty was over the past few iterations, um, I think this is going to buy into that. And I'm really excited for it. It looks cool. Check out the trailer. Like I said, it dropped at the Game of the Year Awards, so you know that it's a big deal. And I just want to point out, while we're on the Game of the Year Awards, that The Last of Us 2 won Game of the Year, and that was my pick for Game of the Year. Uh, yeah, I believe that came out after our podcast, just saying. Yeah, it did. So it's like it's like the Game of the Year Awards listen to us. I think they do. I think they do. And, and the People's Choice Game of the Year was Ghost of Tsushima, which is my second pick for Game of the Year. So it's kind of like the people listen to us as well, Jeff. I don't think we can do any more for society, James. I think we've, we're, we're doing all we can. We are. We are. And I think we need to wrap this, uh, wrap this up, Jeff, because I, I think it's a standard of, it's a statement on how great TV has been in 2020 that we aimed for a 40 minute podcast and we're at 46 minutes as we speak. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been, there's so much to talk about, not just the Disney one. I would think I'm going to go and scream at the list uh, of things that are coming out a little bit more tonight. Uh, but yeah, there are a lot to, to enjoy this year and a lot to look forward to. Yeah, buddy. So um, on top of on top of today's podcast, uh, on my birthday of all days, you've also got two more to listen to over the rest of December. Um, you will be receiving at some point our movies of 2020, which might be a slightly harder set of picks, Jeff. Mm. Um but we'll still have the usual recommendations in as well. And we're also going to have a Christmas special that will hopefully be dropping around about the 21st, 22nd, just in time to tell you what to watch over the Christmas period. But other than that, Jeff, um, from me, James Clark, and from you, Jeff Ball. Happy birthday, James. I'm going to go and eat a Mulan cake by myself. Yeah, buddy. Goodbye and good luck. <laughs>